Hey, good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us online, however you're doing that. My name is Justin. I am the next generation pastor here at Hilton Head Island Community Church, and it's really good for me to be back. This is uh, actually kind of my normal hangout space. We're coming live to you from our student room, which is normally where I'm hanging out on Wednesday nights with our students. And so it feels pretty normal to me. I almost feel like I should be leading some of these guys that are in here with like some kind of crazy game or something, but I'm not going to do that. Uh, not right now. I can tell it's different because I've got to look up at you guys in the camera. I'm not looking down at our middle schoolers like normal who are, you know, about three feet or so off the ground when they're standing. I mean, sitting. I'm probably going to hear about that later. But uh, anyways, uh, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, really, or actually several weeks, we've been in a series called After Effects, where we've been talking about what, what does it look like after Easter? You know, what did Jesus say and do in the 40 days or so that he spent on earth after his resurrection? And so Todd has been walking us through that, and we're getting kind of near the end of that series. And so last week, Todd actually shared with us one of the last and most important things that Jesus said to his disciples, and that was Jesus' giving of the Great Commission— the mission of the church, it's found mainly in one of the most famous passages in Scripture, which is Matthew 28. And so to start today, I want to ask you just to look back at that with me really quickly. In Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, it goes like this. It says, Jesus came and said to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You know, as Todd said last week, that's one of the most important things that Jesus said. It was the giving of the mission to the church. It was literally one of the last things he said, having his disciples circled up and saying essentially, you know, take what you saw from me. Take what I told you. Take what I showed you and go and do likewise. Show it to others. It's why that, you know, our mission as Hilton Head Island Community Church is to passionately share the message of Jesus Christ and to lead people to follow him because that's what Jesus told us to do. And so our question today, though, is what happens next? We have the mission, but what happens next? I mean, it seems easy enough, right? Jesus is about to leave. He wants us to go and to tell others about him. You know, so maybe if you're a little bit older, right, it's, okay, let's go hand out some gospel tracts. Or if you're a little bit younger, you know, throw your favorite verse in your bio on IG, right? Just let people know about Jesus, right? It's easy enough. That's what we're supposed to do. But it is, and it isn't that easy. And so today we're going to look at Acts 1 and see how did this actually start for the disciples? What did carrying out this mission actually start to look like in Jesus' last moment on earth, and really their first moment, taking up this mantle of the mission of the church. So we're going to be in Acts 1, verses 6 through 11. If you'll follow along with me, it'll be on the screen behind me. It says this. It says, when they came together, the disciples asked him, Lord, will you, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. 
And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go. I don't know about you guys, but has anybody ever lost a balloon outside? Like that, that moment where you're holding on to it and it slips out of your hand and for a split second, you're hoping you're going to be able to jump and grab it. But, you know, after, you know, a few feet of it drifting away, it's kind of like, well, this is hopeless. And then you're kind of just left there to watch it drift further and further away until you either can't see it anymore or, you know, it blows out of sight. And I have to imagine that the disciples' experience in that moment was probably a little bit like that. I mean, Jesus literally one second is talking to them. And the next, he's floating off and disappearing behind a cloud. And I want you guys to think for a second. I mean, if, it, if it takes us, you know, a, a minute or so to process the emotional loss of losing that balloon, imagine what it was like for these disciples to watch God in a body, a man that they had spent the last three years with, following with, eating with, fellowshipping with, and a man that they had literally just been huddled up with listening to moments ago, drift away, and whether they knew it or not, disappear for the rest of their lives. I imagine there was some processing that needed to happen, but in that moment, there's not any time for processing. Two angels actually show up, and they say the equivalent of, hey, what are you guys doing? Let's get to it. Why are you standing around gazing into heaven? It's time to do what he said. And I almost feel bad for the disciples. It's like these angels need a little sensitivity training or something. Like we kind of got to process what's going on. But here's what was happening. In that moment, the angels understood better than the disciples that they were on a mission. You see, the disciples, they were kind of riding high on the fact that Jesus had just been resurrected 40 days ago. You know, and they, they kind of resort to this old train of thought that Todd's talked about some throughout this series of Jesus is coming to be the Messiah. He's going to free Israel. He's going to make their lives better. He's going to cast out Rome, and he's going to take over as king. And if you notice, their first question at that beginning of the passage in Acts 1-5 is, Lord, is it now, is this the time when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And they're still in this mindset that, all right, God's about to come. Things are about to be good. We're about to have the good life. But the angels knew that wasn't the case. The angels knew that they were about to embark on a mission for the rest of their lives, one that may have been a lot harder than they expected it to be. And you see, Jesus gave that mission to the disciples, but he gave it to us too. And here's the thing about a mission. A mission is not just a goal or a task to be accomplished. It's not another line that we add on our to-do list. A mission is meant to become our sole focus. It's a lot more important. And in that moment, the disciples had just been given the most important mission of all time, the mission to glorify God and to save people from separation from him for eternity. And in that moment, they're standing around. They're just standing there. And I'm here to tell you this morning that that mission that was given to the disciples is your mission if you're a follower of Jesus. It's my mission as a follower of Jesus. But here's the reality. So many of us aren't on it. You see, when you're on a team with a mission, right, you don't, you don't huddle up, come up with a plan for the mission, and then break the huddle and, and then just stand. 
You don't break the huddle and go to the sidelines and sit and watch, right? You break the huddle and you get ready to act. You get ready to live out that mission. And you see, in that moment, the disciples were sitting around and they were just staring. But here's the reality for us. We do a lot of sitting around and staring too. You know, maybe it's not watching Jesus drift up into the clouds, but it's watching our social media accounts. It's watching our screens, and it's gazing at our bank accounts. And so we do our own fair amount of staring, and we don't live like we understand the mission that we're on. And the angels understood in that moment that the time to change that for the disciples then and for us now is now. You see, they said, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, he's going to come back the same way you saw him go. He's gone right now, but he's coming back. And the disciples were made to think that Jesus could come back at any moment, right? They were made to think that even though with hindsight, we now know it would be at least 2,000 years until he came back. But they were made to think that he could come back at any moment because that's the kind of urgency they were meant to carry out the mission with. You know, and some people may not know this, but Acts that we just read was written by Luke. And Luke and Acts are actually the two longest books in the New Testament. A lot of times we think Paul probably wrote most of the New Testament. It's actually Luke, because he wrote some long books. And so when we look at Acts chapter 1, really Luke is meant to be kind of the the precursor to that. They go together. And if you rewind a little bit in Luke, Jesus says something interesting. It's almost like he knew the disciples were going to struggle with the mission that they were about to get. Luke chapter 21, verses 34 through 36 say this. It says, And this is Jesus speaking, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you, that day when Jesus comes back suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. I don't know about you guys, but that sounds like a relevant message to Americans, right? There is no society, I think it's pretty, I'm pretty confident to say, there's no society on earth that's been more wrapped up in the cares of this life than our current culture, right? It it invades everything that we do. It affects you, it affects me, it affects all of us. And this mission that we've been given isn't something that we we take the cares of this life and we add the mission on on Sundays, or when we have small group, right? It's not an add-on to those things. It's meant to become the focus of our lives. So here's kind of my question this morning. What does it look like to focus our lives on that mission? What does that actually look like? You know, I mentioned earlier that when you talk about a mission, you've got to look at a, a couple of things, really. It's important to look at your motivations. What's driving you towards that mission? And it's also important to look at the challenges you're going to face. Because remember, this isn't just another line on your to-do list. It's a mission. You need motivation. You're going to face challenges, and it happens on a timeline. And so we know what the mission is, but we need to wrestle with some of these things of what are our motivations, and what are the challenges that we're going to face? Because we need to wrestle with them to see how we can be more fruitful at the mission that we've been given. And my prayer is that as we continue to talk this morning, we're going to look at three motivations that we should have, and six challenges that we're going to face. And I pray as we go through each one of those that you would think through for your life and examine in your own heart 
what it looks like for you. Do you have those motivations? Or how are you dealing with those challenges? And so if you're a person who takes notes, uh, I would encourage you, just write some of these down because I would love for you to, when this is all done, to go back and look and evaluate each of these points for your own life. And so we're going to look, and like I said, we're going to see where are you lacking in motivation and what challenges or excuses are you facing? So first up, what are our reasons to carry out this mission? Why should we do it with passion and urgency? You know, what do we need to understand in our heads that's ultimately going to put power in our hearts to carry out this mission? Because it's so important. So here's three motivations we need to be looking for in our lives to carry out the mission of the church to go and make disciples. The first motivation is this. We should carry out this mission because we love God and we desire to make him known. You know, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so we've been commanded by God to carry out this mission. And Jesus says that if you truly love God, that that love is going to overflow in you to the point where you're not going to be able to help but to tell people about it and to obey this commandment. And so if we find ourselves maybe not carrying out this mission as fully as we should, the first stop to examine in our hearts is to ask ourselves, what does our love for God really look like? You know, is our salvation just kind of a fire insurance? Are we just here because, you know, we're going to get to go to heaven one day? Or do we really have a love for the God of the universe that created us? And do we love him in a way that's transforming our lives and leading us to obey him and carry out this mission? Because that's what it should look like. The second motivation is this. We should carry out this mission because of a love for others and a desire that none of them would perish. You see, the Bible says in multiple places that our love for God should be closely followed by a love for others. Think about when Jesus gave the great commandment. The first and most important commandment, love the Lord your God, but the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so one of the reasons that God has placed us on this mission is because we, he and we should love people too. You see, God is about his glory, and we talk about that a lot, but God has a heart for people too. He does want them to come to know him. Second Peter chapter 3 is one of the more interesting verses or passages in the Bible. I want you to look at it with me. It says this, Peter, he says, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord isn't slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but he's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. It's kind of a weird verse. It kind of ends with a little bit like everything's going to burn, but it's actually one of the more comforting verses in the Bible, because I don't want you to miss what Peter said earlier, that the Lord's heart isn't that any should perish, but he wants all of them to come to repentance, and some of you need to hear that today. God is not up in heaven waiting to drop the gavel on somebody who, doesn't, who you know, hasn't lived a life with him. God yearns 
for people to come to know him and be restored in relationship with him. He wants people to know him. But the reality is that that verse forces us to confront some hard truths too and to realize why our mission is so critical and to realize what happens when we fail. You see, God yearns for people to hear the gospel and to be restored to relationship with him, but the reality is that some won't. You know, either because of failure to respond or failure to hear. And if it's a failure to hear, it's really our failure to speak and to make it known. And we have to wrestle with that and understand the urgency of the mission we're on. We have friends and family that need that message. We do business with, our kids play on sports teams with, and we live next door to people that need to hear that message. And yet so often I think we walk around and we just kind of act like everything's okay. And I understand that, but we have to confront the reality and really dig into our hearts and, and ask ourselves, do we really love other people if we're willing to so callously walk around all the time, ignoring a world of dead people who don't know God? And I know it's not easy to think about it that way, but we'll wrestle with that a little bit more in a little bit. But last, and actually least in this case, is this. While this one might sound a little bit weird or prideful, um, as long as it's in subjugation to those first two motivations of love for God and love for others, it's okay. And that's this. We should carry out this mission because of love for other, or a love for ourself and a desire to confirm our calling. You see, when Jesus said to love our neighbors as ourselves, there's kind of an assumption there that we do love ourselves. And it's not a weird, prideful, worldly self-love. It's an understanding of who we are as God's creation and who he says that we are and an understanding that we're his adopted children. And so it's because of him that we have value. And so we do see ourselves in that light and we want to make ourselves more like him and bring him more glory and we want to confirm that calling that he's placed on our lives. And we'll talk more a little bit later about how carrying out that mission and confirming our calling go together. But, you know, at this point, it might seem simple, right? We know what the mission is. We know we're supposed to love God, love people and ourselves to carry it out. You know, and I think if I were to ask you, you know, wherever you're at, you know, do you know what the mission is? Do you love God? Do you love people? You know, do you even have that healthy self-love, most of us would probably say, yeah, yeah, I kind of got most of those. But here's the thing, we have to wrestle with, why aren't we more effective at our mission? Why don't we see this lived out more in all of us? Because here's what's also true. If I were to ask you, you know, have you shared the gospel with someone or had a meaningful conversation that was meant to disciple someone this month, in the last six months, maybe in the last year, or even ever, I have to imagine that there's a lot of us that would have to say no. And I don't say that to bash on anyone because I, I would have to confess to you as a pastor, it's really easy for me to do those things in this space, but outside of here in my own life, I need to see more fruit in those areas too. But for all of us, right, we have to wrestle with, you know, are we doing that? Again, it's not a litmus test that, oh, if you have, great, you're good. You know, if you shared with someone this, you know, this month or this year, you're good. Or if you haven't, shame on you. It's not that kind of test, but we all have to wrestle with like, the fact that that's even a reasonable question. To ask a group of Christians should be a little troubling to all of us because we've been given a mission, and so we've got to ask ourselves, what's holding us back from it? 
we know what the motivations are, but what are the challenges and the excuses in our life that are going to hold us back? I'm going to run through six of these. And again, I just want to remind you, as I go through these, I know it's a lot, but just write each one down and ask yourself, is this a problem in my life? Is this the excuse or one of the excuses that I make or a challenge that's holding me back? And the first one is this. I think a lot of it, you know, for a lot of us, when it comes to this mission of sharing the gospel, of making Jesus known and making disciples, the first thing that holds us back is this. We don't know how to do it. Or at least we don't think we do. You know, when we talk about these things, many of us feel unequipped. We don't feel like we know how to give the answers to the questions or say the right things. And so we, we just kind of hesitate. And it's, it's so funny because we supposedly study our Bibles regularly and we hear messages every Sunday that we're a Christian. We feel like we can talk about it with people. And I... I have to think that we've been sold kind of a watered-down Christianity where the most important things are that we become a believer and we come learn more about God. And sure, that's part of it, but the reality is that God's called us to much more. God didn't call you to be a believer and to come learn about God. He called you to be a disciple-maker and a disciple-maker that teaches about God. And so we have to ask ourselves, why don't we see more of that in our lives? And I, I, you know, it, it could be that we lead a Sunday school class or, you know, help lead with the youth. Those things are important as part of it. But it's really a more holistic sharing of Jesus in every moment of our lives, talking about hard things, building those relationships with people and being available to answer those questions and knowing we're not going to be able to answer every question, but we can still be there and share the hope that's in us. I think one of the reasons why maybe we feel unequipped to do this is actually connected to the second challenge. A reason why we feel unequipped and, and out of practice a little bit, it's this. It's that we defer. We defer our mission. We push it off to other people, specifically pastors and missionaries. We've built a culture in the church today, and I don't mean just this church. I mean the big church with a capital C. We've built a culture that, you know, ministry, evangelism, apologetics, disciple-making, right? That, that's the job of the pastors and the missionaries. That, leave that to the professional Christians, Right, I'm just supposed to show up and listen to the message. Let's leave those things to them. And we couldn't be more wrong. You see, the reality is, is right, we come and we listen and we drop our kids off at youth group and we sit in the right places at the right time and we think we've done what we're supposed to do. But I have to tell you today, church, that if your kids follow Jesus, right, if we're going to make an impact in our community, and if the church is going to grow and fulfill its mission, it's up to you. And it's up to me. It's up to all of us. And it's not the job of the professional Christians. In fact, you know, Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12 says this. It says, coming from Paul, it says, God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. You see, the job of pastors is not to go out and to do the work for you. It's to equip you to do the work. And we built a culture where that's not really the case. You see, we, we think, you know, pastors and missionaries are the professional Christians. But the reality is a missionary is just someone who's called to do the same thing that you're called to do, but to do it somewhere else. And so we've got to understand and wrestle with what our role in this mission is. But I think one of the main reasons we don't do that is the third challenge or excuse, and that's this. We're distracted. 
when it comes to our mission, we're distracted. And I want to pause here for a second because honestly, I could have made the message today entirely about this. I think this is the most pervasive challenge in the American church to how we live out our mission. You see, we got to look at the fact in Acts 1, the disciples were chastised by the angels for sitting around and staring for a few moments, right? And that's when at the time, you know, they, they didn't know this, but there were going to be more than 2,000 years to carry out that mission. We don't know how long we have. And so they got chastised for sitting around and staring just for a few moments. And I have to tell you, church, for the last probably 100 years or so in our culture in America, we've been sitting around and staring. You know, whether it's TV, sports, entertainment, social media, whatever it is, entertainment is no longer a, a luxury in our life or just some small piece of it. It is a lifestyle. We idolize being entertained, being comfortable, safe, secure. And we look for those things for our happiness and our purpose. And when we do go out and we work and we're kind of productive and busy in our Western way of thinking, it's about our own agendas usually. You see, we live our lives with an urgency about our own agendas, but rarely about God's. And the reality is that we've been given a mission that should be our sole focus. And John said this to us in 1 John chapter 2, 15 through 17. He said, and he gave us this reminder that I think is so important for us to hear. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride and possessions, it's not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. And so we've got to wrestle with where our focus is. You see, it's critical that we do that because lives literally eternal lives depend on it. And that brings me to number four. It says, we don't understand the deadline that we're working on. We don't understand that there is a deadline. Second Thessalonians, this is Paul writing, it says this. It says, all this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled, and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you, because you believed our testimony to you. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, a day is coming when Jesus is coming back and our mission will be out of time. On one hand, it's going to be the most amazing thing that you could possibly imagine, the day when he comes and he wipes away tears, and he does away with disease and death and destruction and pain and suffering. And I can't wait for that day, but we have to recognize the hard truth that on the other side of it, that there's a deadline for our mission. And that one day, everybody who does not know God and has not accepted that message of the gospel will be separated from him for eternity. 
there will be a day when that mission comes to a deadline and there's no more time for that neighbor that you've seen and prayed about and thought about talking to or for that family member you've been praying for and maybe talked to once or twice, but you've kind of just backed off and given up on. There one day will be a deadline for those things. And so we've got to wrestle with it and understand what we're working with and the, the criticalness of the mission that we're on. The angels got on the disciples for, for hesitating and for shirking their mission for just a few moments. And so what kind of urgency should we be living like or living with? We're supposed to live like our mission is on a deadline and that he could come back at any moment because he could. You know, and honestly, this is one that I've struggled with. I'll just admit, it's hard sometimes to go through daily life and imagine that one day this is all gonna come to an end, that this world isn't gonna continue on like it always has, right? But then a few months ago, a little thing called COVID-19 started. And if it has taught us anything, I hope it teaches us that one day this world will not continue on the same way that it always has. One day there will be a day when this world comes to an end as we know it, and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. But there will also be eternal separation from God, and that deadline is coming. And I know it's not easy to hear about, and that brings me to the fifth challenge that we have. It's this. We're deaf. You see, our culture does not like to talk about hell, and I get it. Even right now as we talk about it, you know, some of you might be uncomfortable or even kind of irritated that we're talking about it right now, um, and I get it. It's not a fun subject or an easy truth. It's just not. And in fact, you know, unfortunately, I think there's so many things that, um, you know, that we could talk about when it comes to this that we don't have time for. But I do want to say this. If, if you have a very hard time with the truthfulness of hell, and trust me, it's normal to struggle with it a little bit, but if you really have a hard time with it to the point where you're not sure you can believe that or you don't understand how God's character could do something like that, I want to encourage you to talk to myself or Todd or someone else because... There are so many misconceptions out there about what that looks like. And it may be that one of those misconceptions is leading you to have a skewed view of it. Now, what I'm not saying is that if you fully understand it, that it's an easy truth all of a sudden. That's not true either. But it may be that you have some misconceptions that are making it harder than it should be. But what I got to tell you is that we've avoided it for too long in the church. And I think it's a little bit of an overreaction that, you know, maybe some of the hellfire and brimstone kind of preaching that was more prevalent in the church that was not the best way to preach the gospel. But we also have to realize that we can't go to the other side and choose a style that ignores the reality of our situation, right? We can't ignore the truth because if we've been saved by Christ, we have to recognize we're living people walking in a world of dead people, and I know that's not easy to hear, but we have to live with a desperate urgency to carry out this mission. And sure, hear me on this, we want to do everything that we can to not make it weird or to add an extra burden to it. This doesn't mean we need to all go run out and be street preachers right this second shouting about hell and the gospel. That's not what I'm saying. We don't want to add an extra burden to it. But what I am saying is this, that we can't, we can't choose a style that ignores it. And at some point, we have to share truths that are just plain hard. And we have to be willing to do that, even if it means that we're not going to be cool or we might be a little bit weird. You know, Penn Gillette, um, some of you might remember from the old Penn and Teller magic acts. Uh, I remember seeing them in school sometimes, a big guy and then a little guy that never talks. 
If you don't remember them, you, you'd probably recognize them if you saw them. But anyways, he's actually a pretty well-known atheist. And he said this several years back. But as an atheist, he said, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. In other words, evangelize, share about their faith. I don't respect that at all. If you believe there's a heaven and hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think it's really not worth telling them that because it'd make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to not tell them about this? How much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? If I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you, and you didn't believe it, that that truck was bearing down on you, right? There's a certain point that I tackle you, and I say that that is more important than anything else. I think we need to be reminded of that, that maybe we have this somewhat good intention of not being weird or being negative or judging people, but we can't walk in here Sunday after Sunday confessing that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but through him, and then walk around with all the people that don't just, they just don't do church. They're just, they're not believers, right? They, they believe something else, and not be concerned about them. We have to have a heart for those people. We can't cover our ears and ignore the hard truths, right? Jesus, after talking about hell, he, he tended to say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so we have to make sure that we're people that hear and that tell. But the final thing that might be holding us back from doing that is this. Maybe that we're dead. We may not really be believers. John tells us this in 1 John chapter 2, 4 through 6. It says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments as a lie. His word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we're in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. See, this is another tough area to talk about that I wish we had more time to go into, but here's what I want to be clear about. We believe salvation is by grace. It's by grace, and you can never lose it, right? There's no, you're never going to lose it because you haven't done what you're supposed to do. In fact, Todd preached a message last summer called Once Saved, Always Saved that I'd encourage you to go back and listen to. But here's what John tells us, right? You can't lose your salvation because you didn't do what you were supposed to do. You don't need to be afraid of that. But you can fake your salvation and then show that you were never really saved because you're not doing what you're supposed to do. See, John says it like this about a group of people in the church. In 1 John 2, 19, he says, they went out from us, but they weren't of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. You see, carrying out this mission never saves us, but it does confirm our calling and the fact that we have been saved because salvation has symptoms and that love that God plants in us should overflow into carrying out this mission and obeying him. And so if, if we're not on that mission, we do have to wrestle with, you know, maybe... You know, are we in Jesus? Do we see him transforming our lives? Have we really been saved? And if you think that might be you, I'd encourage you again. Talk to myself, Todd, someone on staff. We would love to talk to you more about what a relationship with Jesus really looks like and how to start on that mission. But for the rest of us, here's how I want to wrap up. Where do we go with this? 
You know, how do we, how do we actually do any of this? Right? What, what do we do now? Do we sit around always talking about theology and godly things? Or do we need to all quit our jobs and go out to be street preachers and start shouting at people about heaven and hell and the gospel? You know, do you need to become a missionary and go overseas? What, what do we do with this to live on mission? And here's the thing. It's not those things. I mean, maybe if God leads you to those, maybe. But here's what we really do have to do. We've got to wrestle with these different motivations and these different challenges. We've got to see in our own life what's motivating us and what might be holding us back. And we've got to deal with them and ask God to help us be more fruitful. We have to learn that this great mission that God's given us isn't just another line on our to-do list. It's meant to be our focus in life. It's not just an add-on. It's a life to be lived. And so what we have to do is we have to learn how to take this mission and to take our lives and figure out how do we weave them together so that our lives are about this mission because it couldn't be more critical. And honestly, it's a little scary to live it out. But God will help you. And a life on God's mission, guys, right, it, it will never lack for purpose. It's never going to lack for purpose, and it's going to be remor- more rewarding than you could ever imagine. And so today I want to encourage you with this. Deal with those things. Ask God to help you. It's never too late to jump into it, and it's never too early either. And God will help you along the way. Todd's going to talk next week about the Holy Spirit. And so, guys, that's my, my encouragement to you today. Let's be on mission and wrestle with these things and be more fruitful to God. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much just for everything that you do, Lord. I thank you that uh, you love us and that you've entrusted us with a mission, Lord, a mission that is so unbelievably critical. God, and I pray that we would start to recognize that, Lord. I pray that you would stir in our hearts an urgency and a passion to carry out the mission that you've given us. Help us to live it out. Lord, send us with everything we need. Send us with the equipping, the knowledge, the confidence. God, pour your spirit out on us, Lord. We need you because there are people that need to hear this message. So would you start in this church today a movement in our community to go out and to proclaim that message, Lord, to make it known, to not be afraid, to not be weirded out, and to not make it weird, but to share the truth. So I just pray, Lord, wherever we're at with that, whatever challenge is affecting us in our life, God, would you help us to identify that, to wrestle with it, to figure out how we can move forward and be more fruitful for you. God, give us your wisdom, your insight. We need it so much, Lord. Help us to live those lives on mission for you, Lord. Keep working on us. God, don't give up on us. We know you won't. So keep working, Lord. We love you. We thank you so much for everything that you're doing and continue to do. And we look forward to seeing what you do in our lives, on this island, in our community, and in our world, Lord. You're amazing, God. You're worthy to be known. Help us to go out and do that, Lord. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.